Hello, gorgeous people, and welcome to another TV Central one-on-one podcast. I'm Aaron Ryan. This is episode number 42, 2023. In Limbo is a bold new series joining the ABC Wednesday lineup from the 24th of May. The six-part series tells the story of best friends Charlie, played by Ryan Corr, and Nate, played by Bob Morley, as they're faced with how hard it is to let go of those we love, especially when they're taken too soon. Bob Morley is an Australian-born international star with credits including The 100, Home and Away, The Blinder, and more recently, Love Me. Now he can add the character of Nate from In Limbo to that list. Bob Morley, thank you for joining me at TV Central. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. So many things to talk about, but let's start with In Limbo. Um, It's part of the ABC Wednesday comedy night, but it teeters on the border of being a drama and being a comedy. For me, but perhaps because I could relate to it so much, I had more tears than laughs, but I guess like the Ricky Gervais show Afterlife, it will connect with people on a different level. Would you describe the the tone of the show as more leaning towards a comedy or, or drama? Yeah, I would say it falls more in that dramedy area. What time of Wednesday night are we showing though? You know, it's like it's not we're not the first comedy off the off the in, in the evening. So um, no, you yeah. can't knock you can't knock off uh, Tom Gleason and Hard Quiz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so you know where the abc will ease you in with the comedy and we'll slowly get to more of the dramedy um but yeah it it is quite a moving show with you know funny bit moments in it um as kind of playing nate who you know for all intents and purposes is a you know ghost in quotations a lot of my stuff is working with ryan core so um when I got to watch the show, I didn't really get to work with all the other cast, so I got to see what the show as a whole and, and the broader picture. Like I read the scripts that after watching the show, it's really quite moving. Um, and, yeah, um, there's some really beautiful performances in there and I think Emma Harvey has done an incredible job as well as Ryan balancing the two worlds that he's kind of living in as well. You know, Nate is in limbo, but, you know, Charlie is there just as much in a in a, in a respect. So... Um, yeah, there's definitely the drama and then there's the comedy and, you know, sometimes they meet, but, um, yeah, I think it's all part of telling a larger message and, and, you know, raising awareness in that one. Well, you, you've touched on it, but let's uh, set the scene. Um, if you could tell the audience what the basic premise of In Limbo is. Well, In Limbo is, you know, um, Nate and Charlie are best friends and, and Nate is, Nate kind of has kept some things to himself and then, you know, we lose him too soon in, in, a, in a rather tragic way and Charlie's kind of left there to pick up the pieces and figure out how to move forward without his best friend. So we're on a journey with Charlie and Nate's family to see how they process their grief and how each person goes through that. Um, and Nate, who is stuck in limbo, appears every now and then to kind of hinder things or help things along. He's... um. He's almost like this annoying best friend that just won't go away. So in that regard, there's therein lies the the comedy. But yeah, to a larger extent, it, it talks to you know mental health conditions and and having that courage and strength to talk and to share, um, you know, the troubles that you may be going through and and having that courage to be vulnerable with those that you love. Um, I think there's a larger message there and and hopefully that resonates with the audience and that kind of moves them forward Mm. toward 
you know, having that those more complex and sometimes difficult conversations. Um, but yeah, that's how I interpreted the show. Yeah, uh, how did you feel about it? Well, yeah, I I think there's a lot in there about about losing somebody. I mean, sometimes they don't have to to die. Um, you know, it can be you know part of separation. Um, yeah. and, and, and losing someone on that level. I mean, your character, Nate, does take his own life. Um, mm -hmm. I'm wondering, I mean, this has been reported. Did it hit home a little? I mean, in 2019, you spoke out surrounding the stigma and shame of of suicide by sharing your own mental health issues um, and admitting yeah. you had multiple suicide attempts. Was playing Nate a little eerie because it, it really shows that if you had been successful, the pain that is left for those around you, um, as Nate did have a partner, a child and a best friend. Mm, yeah, I mean, there were difficult, difficult scenes to shoot, and some some that were, you know, were, Bunya had a had really approached the the subject matter with sensitivity, and we we mm. did speak to therapists, and we had you know support around us, um, and I felt very safe with Ryan and and sharing, and you know, especially when some things might feel outside of my comfort zone and and whatnot. But in terms of it, you know, being something of my own lived experience, um, it was a story that I, a show that I felt really important to be part of. Mm -hmm. I felt very strongly about that. And Lucas Taylor had written an amazingly articulate script about that and, and what, you know, what goes on. And I think he had a real understanding of it and, um, yeah, I think it was for me, it was just something that I, I really wanted to be part of the conversation and moving that conversation forward and bringing that to light. You know, I think that's why, well, it's definitely why I spoke out about my own experiences um, a few years back because, look, it's, it's a horrible, it's a really hard and harrowing thing to live through and to live with on a daily basis. Um, and only when I started sharing, yeah, it was terrifying. And it was also really hard for those who loved me and my loved ones to hear that that's something that I would have to, you know, try and cope. Yeah. But once I started sharing and that dialogue began and everyone started to understand that, it, you know, um, it's something that it's compounded by the isolation. If I'm not sharing it, 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 get, it gets even worse. So that was one of the major reasons I, I spoke out about it or, you know, um, spoke publicly about it. And it's one of the driving factors to me being part of this show. And yeah, um, you know, it, there were times in the show where, you know, I'd come home, my family was in Los Angeles and I was, I was there in Brisbane, lovely place, but, you know, very much feeling alone and, um, yeah. but having to kind of keep myself in check. Um, so that was definitely challenging in a lot of ways and um even when i was viewing it with my wife i you know she was it was quite hard for us to sit through that stuff and uh work through it so you know it, it was terrifying to do and and watching the show and even talking about it now i'm like sweating you know like i i have a little bit of fear and insecurity about it all and everything like that but i think those things that terrify you are sometimes the the right thing to do and yeah to kind of push into that uncomfortable zone. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of the show and I hope it finds an audience and I hope it's received in the way that 
we'd hoped we hope it to be and um you know it was approached with respect and and sensitivity and everyone you know every crew member as well had been affected by a mental health condition in some capacity in their life and we were all there wanting to tell the same story and so it felt like a very supportive community and a great place to be able to tell that story and hopefully yeah it resonates with an audience out there I think your your bravery to talk about this really made an impact and and show that these kind of thoughts are not linked to where you live or how successful your career is or how much money you have or um how many people admire you. I mean, every person on every level are connected on issues such as loss and and grief and separation and connection amongst others. Did you feel a sense of hope after sharing your story with others and then feeling that connection back from people that either had struggled mentally or were struggling at the time? Um, and were inspired by your words? Yeah, no, it's definitely like, you know, I've I've been lucky enough to go to like conventions like Comic-Con and, and other ones around the world where I get to meet fans and and spend some time with them. And it, it has been one of the resounding things that has come back and, and how it has helped them. And um, it's a really beautiful thing to share and to feel like, you know, you're helping others take a step in the right direction or helping them cope um uh so yeah like it, it was the response was lovely and absolutely supportive um and that that's that's a wonderful thing but i think it's when those who are struggling at that time come up to you and have the courage to share their story with you like there have been times where i've been at conventions and people have come up to me and i can see that they they are struggling but they're willing to push through that to to tell me their story and that's like real bravery and that's real courage. And and I'm just floored by that every time. It, and, you know, it feels like such a weighty subject. And, you know, like sometimes I have to get whisked away to do other things, but like I'm so appreciative of them sharing and yeah. stepping up and having that courage to do it. So, um, yeah, it was, it is, it's a lovely thing to do and, if I if I have the platform to do it and you know especially on in limbo um then I, I will well let's get um back to in limbo uh, Ryan caused um uh, portrayal of Charlie is so poignant because on the surface he continues that banter with Nate he is quite frustrated and even tells him to go away a number of times mm-hmm. some of the actions are clearly a front because um you can see the unimaginable hurt he's feeling from Nate taking his own life Tell me how you see Charlie's perspective and in, in what has happened. Yeah, look, I think Charlie, this is this is kind of an interesting place to live as an actor as well. Like, where does Nate actually exist? Is he an ethereal being or is he a part of Charlie's own psyche? What does Nate know and what does Charlie know? And are they two separate entities? And it got into a whole labyrinth of things. So we're just like, <laughs> let's just do the page. But, um, yeah, I, I we're... I think for Charlie, Nate is part of his grieving process. You know, I don't think, like I know when I've lost someone in my life and, you know, like even right now I'm grieving. No, no, I was going to make, like my son who's 14 months old is now starting to only do one nap a day. I missed that second nap that we used to have. That's a joke. (laughs) Put that aside. But Look, I think Charlie's reaction and having Nate around is a normal one. Like you still talk to people who you've lost and you still wonder what they would do or have like asked for guidance or 
reminiscent about a time when you know they made you laugh. I think that that's part of how Charlie's trying to work through stuff. And I think you know after watching getting to watch the full season, um, yeah, I think Ryan's performance is so well grounded, but also heightened when it needs to be in terms of when he's having that banter with Nate and. Um, I think there's a real authenticity to the way that it's mm. it's portrayed, and that also comes from the writing. And um, I think it's truthful. Like you do, when you lose someone, you you still imagine what it would be like. You know, like you said, like even in a separation or whatnot, or you know, you yeah. imagine what they're like. Right now, my dogs are in Australia, and I'm here in LA, and I still talk to them <laughs> and imagine <laughs> them sleeping on the bed because it gives me comfort. You know. I think it's part of his grieving process. Yeah. Is there, I mean, you, you have mentioned this, but is there, is there something important to learn or capture from within the series? What, what do you hope the audience takes away holistically from the show? Well, I think the show, you know, it, it touches on you know, mental health conditions and everything like that, but it also, it doesn't tie it up with a bow. Like, you know, Nate says quite often, there's no simple answers. And that that's kind of the truth of it. Like, what I'm hoping that people take away from the show is it is a that doorway to begin to have that conversation. You know, I think in limbo uses humor to open that door to having those trickier conversations. And I hope that by the end, you know, you if you're an audience member, you think about someone you love and one of your dear friends and go, you know what? I'm just gonna reach out and see if they're okay because the thought of actually losing you from my life is is not worth me not asking you how you are today, yeah. you know, and then that conversation starts. I think that that's the, it's important for us to, you know, say, um, you know, that g'day mate, how you doing stuff, but the conversation needs to continue. I think that we've come to a point where we can all ask whether a friend's doing okay. What we now need to learn for each other is how to continue that dialogue without it getting to that sticking point, if you know what I mean, Yeah. where it, it becomes uncomfortable. I think a lot of us are equipped to say, hey, are you doing okay? My friend might say, no, I'm actually not. I'm really struggling with this. But then where does that conversation go from there? Because if mm. you just kind of punt them to say, oh, go get help, then that isolation comes back. You know, it's it's about opening up a dialogue that's a back and forth and, um I think it's important that we all learn how to have those conversations yeah. because, you know, mental health um, conditions just seem to be rising and, and we're all, you know, I feel like anxiety, whether it's a buzzword or not, it feels like it's definitely here and especially like things are moving so fast. We all feel like we have to be doing something every moment mm-hmm. of, the, of the day. And so to be able to slow down and kind of at a base level see how checking in on friends and reassuring them that what they're feeling is, you know, it's fine to have these feelings on this particular day or X, Y, and Z, and to have a conversation that goes past, are you doing okay? Are you okay, mate? So then continuing that conversation. I know that's a long-winded answer to what you asked. but No, no, it's it's, it's important. Um, yeah. 
Uh, are you being quite prescriptive um, in the roles you take now, or is it just a coincidence that some of the roles lately um, have had just so much depth, you know, realness, um, and are challenging for you as an actor, but also for the audience to watch? I mean, In Limbo and Love Me are compelling, uh, moving, and I would even say important for people to watch because of what is drawn out as a viewer. So is it? have you been prescriptive, or is it just a coincidence you just had these roles come up? <laughs> I mean, I've, I think I've just been really lucky. Like, I mean, obviously these roles are fantastic. These shows and productions have been great. Um, and I think they're the one, they're the roles that I've always wanted to do. You know, it's, um, I think there's this misconception with actors that it's like we can pick and choose. Like it's really kind of, you know, you, there are certainly things that I won't go out for, but mm. there is a lot more that I go out for, you know, and yeah. Um, it's I think only the elite class can kind of pick and choose what they do. Whereas I'm definitely not in that that echelon of performer or, you know, market value or however the algorithm works. I'm not in a position to kind of pick and choose, but these are the roles that really draw me in. These kind of authentic and challenging topics um, really get me excited. So maybe, maybe there's something that in me that kind of fires up a bit more for those auditions and um and at shows i guess you might be a pick and choose actor after after these uh, couple of performances you've done that which have been awesome but let's oh, talk you. talk about one of my I, my top five shows of all time and i genuinely mean this not just because i'm talking to you um i'm absolutely in love um with the series love me um i did oh, yeah. a pod- podcast with uh will lotter who played oh, aaron in, in the series yeah. um we had a great chat um, I'm interested in your reaction when you when you saw the script because it's not your average show. No, I mean, even when I auditioned for it and, um, you know, the, the, the briefing notes were pretty short, but it's like, you know, male model, you know, this, that and the other. But the dialogue was just so naturalistic that it's like, well, the, you know, he's a model, but that's not who he is. He's a human being. And then getting to sit down and chat with um, Emma Freeman for that first season and just kind of having an authentic conversation about how she wants to shoot it and this, that and the other and what we're looking for um, uh, was really refreshing. Um, And, yeah, especially when we got on set and Boyana is just such a phenomenal actress. Um, Yeah, we had some, like, the reference material of the, I think it's Swedish version i didn't i didn't watch it because i don't like to watch other incantations of characters that i'm going to play but um i think emma freeman has a real style about the the work that she shoots so um she kind of really set the tone and from there on out um you know the the show was created but honestly in the first read through when there was boyana and heather and um hugo um I was, I was a little bit like, what am I doing here? And like, kind of like, oh my god, just doing my lines and being like, don't stuff it up. And my internet connection was really bad. I was in Los Angeles and they were all in Sydney, so I was like lagging. And then they were like, oh, we lost you there. And I was like, oh, maybe that that saved me <laughs> that I broke up throughout that that read through. But I mean, to me, you know, um, with Hamish Lewis, one of the executive producers there. Um, I got I got along with him really well, and in season one, we were it was COVID during like the the height of Melbourne lockdown, 
And so we were all, it was like we were in a bubble. It was like, it was like we were, they, they were the only people I got to see. So it became a very tight unit very quickly. There's so many levels of the show we could discuss, but let's talk about sex for a moment. Um, yeah. Movies and television um, often have the the magic of sex, the take my breath away music in the background and, and is always perfect. Love V shows all the elements of sex, the beautiful, the slightly uncomfortable and the occasionally awkward moments that uh, people experience. Did you like the authenticity in the storytelling when it came to sex across three generations? Yeah, absolutely. We, um, we had a really fantastic intimacy, intimacy coordinator and we would talk about love language and how Peter might express himself and how Clara might express herself and, and finding those boundaries and then of where, you know, where we were, would feel comfortable, um, so in that regard, there was an amazing set to work on. And it was the first time I've really encountered an intimacy coordinator in my almost 20 years of working. But yeah, watching the show, like I lo- I just, I love watching Hugo and Heather as performers. And, you know, it's great to see, you know, their older generation shining up there on the big screen. I, and I think that it's beautiful to watch, you know? Um, yeah. But to be honest, I haven't watched any of my sex scenes because it's, not necessarily something that I'm into, but yeah. Well, let's quickly touch on the on the uh, Hugo weaving part of that. Um, I'm as, as a bisexual viewer, I have no issues with yourself and Will naked, and and in and in some of the sex scenes. But seeing Hugo weaving as Glenn Matheson with pants around his ankles and having sex with Anita on the kitchen bench wasn't easy to watch. But um, you know, I I found that so in sync though with what love me is three generations being real and yes people over 50 do have sex um um, and in fact in one way it was almost beautiful to see people enjoying love and romance later in life do you think the show broke a few barriers in terms of ageism and and sex i think so i think it did and i think you know like hats off to hugo and heather for for doing it and 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 showing that and portraying it and i I think you've kind of nailed it on the head in terms of it being shown in the same regards as the younger generation, that middle generation, <laughs> which I am now, and then the older generation. Um, it's all love that we're shooting and it's all going to be shot in the same way and given the same respect and, and you know, dignity as each generation. You know, it's all different forms of love but shot with that same same way, if that makes sense. It's not like it's... Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're talking about like ageism. You're you're in the middle now. I mean, some people, you know, when I was interviewing you, said to ask you, um, have you actually aged? Because you look almost exactly like you did in Home and Away. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> haven't aged at all. Same same look, but that that's a compliment anyway. Um, yeah. how, how comfortable are are you with um? sex scenes and nudity in television um i mean you were naked a lot in love me um i thought mm. we probably wouldn't see you naked in in limbo but the bum does come out in the, in the later in the season is it is it just part of the job um something you get used to or is it still awkward um i don't, I don't know if you necessarily get used to it um like it, it's awkward uh and it it's kind of you know you try and be as comfortable with it as you can be and so you kind of try and be as relaxed as you can be on set and whatnot. And the, the only time when it gets awkward is when it's called cut and people are like, all right, and they all go back to doing what they're doing. And you're like, um, can someone get me my, my, my gown? And you're like, I'm still standing here, like naked guys. 
Um, but for me, um, I think I've gotten better at, you know, uh, being naked or whatnot um, as I've gotten older and just kind of it's more about my own self-acceptance and my own self-worth, you know. I think uh, my younger self would have been way more self-conscious. Like I've done it, I did, you know, in other movies when I was younger and, yeah, yeah you kind of, it's just part of the job. Yeah. But yeah, I do. I, I I don't want it to be something that I do all the time. I, it definitely needs to be selective. And I think that in limbo, it served its purpose. You know, I I don't necessarily think that I would just do it for the sake of getting naked. Yeah, I'm not I'm me in everyday life. I'm I'm definitely not that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's go in a different direction now. Um, I mean, many will know you for your acting credits, but um, you don't have a bad vocal technique either. I remember you in the singing competition, It Takes Two, um, <laughs> where you're raising funds for charity um, out of the great work the hospital did for your mum who who had ovarian cancer years earlier. Mm. That looked like a great experience, and there, there, there seemed to be a change in you after you visited the hospital. Was, was that a fond experience? Because it was different for you. It was definitely different. Like... Um... I, I was really grateful to be able to give some money back, obviously. Um, but it, it kind of, it came down to a bit of a pragmatic decision, actually, because um, I was on Home and Away at the time and Chris Hemsworth had just done Dancing with the Stars and I can't remember, it might have been Mark Furs had just done It Takes Two. And I was like, look, I don't, I was chatting to them and I was like, I don't really want to be dan- doing Dancing with the Stars. I was like, but I could see how learning how to sing could be quite helpful with like acting. Yeah. So that was why I chose to do It Takes Two. And also it meant I get, got to go back to Melbourne. I think I was really struggling being in Sydney away from family for like the first time. And mm. so getting back to Melbourne. But, yeah, um, that, was, that was really nerve-wracking. And, um, I mean, even... Even when you said it takes two, I there was like a flush through me of like, oh god, oh god. <laughs> Are you still singing at all, or just 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 at home with the new son? Yeah, just lullabies, just on repeat, human jukebox of like whatever it is, row row yeah. row, you bite, twinkle twinkle, little star, all yeah. those things. The girls on the bus, you know, hitting all the notes. Yeah, he's loving it. Um, you started your career in Home and Away and Neighbours, um, and soon after your departure, you made some negative comments about it being a machine that can chew you up and spit you out. Now, you did apologise years later, and look, I understand why you apologised, but I also recognise some of the mental health struggles you had at the time, struggles that would lead to making, you know, sort of uncharacteristic comments like that. The fame thing um, and the lack of privacy was a real struggle for you at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, and and I think it it has been up until like the last four years or so. Really, it's yeah. uh, it's not something that like you know to me. I know that it's part of the system of being, especially with social media, doing all like your Instagrams and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it has always been a struggle, and I think especially you know I I have my own mental health conditions. It, it can lead me down a path that isn't necessarily good for my health. And it took me a long time to separate that, that kind of, um, especially with social media, that that quick hit of dopamine and validation 
and understanding that that's not where my sense of self-worth should come from and then having to separate that stuff. Um, and, yeah, you're right. I think for me when I was on Home and Away, it was the first time that things really got quite tricky for me. Like um, I, yeah, I, I struggled to sleep. Like I, you know, I would have, I wouldn't, there was a period of time where I, like I went from, not being on TV to being on TV in people's houses like four nights a week. And I remember Ada Nicodemu saying to me like after like my first three weeks or something, she's like, enjoy your anonymity while you have it. And I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. Not really thinking too much about it, but no wise words. And I um, I wasn't prepared for it. And, you know, I was, I was 21, which is still pretty young to be away from home and living in a new city and, yeah, there was a period of time where I, I, I didn't even leave my house other than go to work for about three months because I was just kind of not, I was struggling, you know, and I, it was one of the reasons I departed early from that show. But it, looking back, like I have so much to be thankful for at being at home and away and learnt so much from it. But yeah, I, that was kind of a, the beginning of a, a bit of back and forth for me throughout my career about how I approach that and how much value I put in to how you're perceived in the outside world by the external factors and how I perceive myself, you know, through the way that I feel or my own self-worth. So it's been a long journey. And, um, you know, I think around that turning point around to 2019, when I did speak up about what I'd been going through, it was really kind of claiming back my own power and talking about, my stuff and not being kind of dictated to through other avenues and trying to look for validation, but rather telling my own truth about what I'd been struggling with, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. I'm interested to know if you find it difficult making connections with people, because although people know it's acting, I guess some people believe in some ways that you are Drew Curtis or Aiden Foster or Bellamy Blake or Peter Kay or, or Nate. Is it, is it difficult mm. making connections with people on, on when they, when they, I don't know, is it subconsciously thing that you are those people? Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like as I've gotten older and especially since becoming a parent, like my world's gone a, a lot smaller. Like I'm not necessarily the most social guy. Um, not that I'm antisocial. It's just like, I kind of, you know, have, my close family friend, family and, and friends and, you know, my rock climbing buddies and stuff like that who don't really, haven't really seen any of my shows. I think, um, yeah, I think the only real time that I, I encountered that people were actually mistaking me or thinking that I was true Curtis was when I was on Home and Away. Yeah. And, you know, especially like, yeah, being a young fella out at bars and stuff like that and, you know, people thinking I was my character. It was kind of a, a bit of a shock, but um, yeah, I, I haven't encountered it too much and I don't necessarily struggle to make connections with people, um, I don't think, but uh, yeah, I don't know. All right, let's move on to your beautiful wife, uh, Eliza, mm-hmm. you, you, uh, your co-star in The 100. Um, it's a relationship that was obviously high profile um, and, you know, there's the media, the photos out there. And I'm sure some people feel invested in your relationship, having seen you guys in the 100. I mean, whether you're a celebrity or not, love is, is, a, is a personal and beautiful thing. What, mm-hmm. what was it and still is about Eliza that makes your, your heart glow? 
<laughs> um, I mean, you know, loves loves one of you know, like in love me. It's it's a it's a shifting and evolving thing, you know. Yeah. And especially since becoming parents, um, it you know, just watching her be a mother is an incredible thing. But Eliza has such a capacity for compassion and understanding, and um, you know, I think in many ways she's one of the reasons that you know I've I've been able to begin to manage and, and cope through a lot of my stuff and, and vice versa, just through having honest conversations that it would be difficult. But very early on, we, of that, the show, The 100, we kind of, being both Aussies and it being our first American thing, kind of made a pact to be best friends and to work as a team to make sure we can make it as, as, as good as it can be. And kind of that, just from being best friends and being part of a team, it's kind of, super integral especially when you have mm. a child is to be on the same team and um i'm just really grateful I, I think she's the best thing in the world and she's my best friend and we're playing hogwarts legacy together at the moment so <laughs> good time <laughs> and you mentioned your son that uh, tell me about him and how has that changed your life yeah he, he's awesome like i mean it's just it's the craziest thing one of the nicest things i think I mean, Henry is, he's funny. He's very uh, curious. Um, you know, it's not without its challenges. And that's, you know, what any parent would say, you know, there's those sleepless nights and this newfound worry that I just have to learn to live with every day. You worry about everything with him. Um, mm-hmm. But it's so, it's overwhelmingly overridden by how much joy he brings into the world. You know, I can't imagine a world without him. Um and there's just some there's beautiful things in him that I you know when I look at him and I see Eliza and I can I you kind of you can see the similarities and things even things for me like as a kid I hated my ears and then I see that Henry's got them I'm like oh they're actually pretty cute you know That's so <laughs> you know and I'll be like if he hates them I'll say oh, I used to feel that way but there you're it's all right you're all right so I mean it's a beautiful thing and I think. There's so much, I'm doing so much learning. Like it's all so new to us and that's the thing, especially which taps back to that part of love and Eliza is like we're part of a a team and we're doing everything for the first time together and supporting each other through that. Mm. Um, So there's this real um, heightened bond that kind of happens with us as parents because of Henry. Yeah. Yeah. So what's happening uh, in terms of working and location? You're obviously in the US for some time, and I know the family is, um, but you've been doing quite a bit of work in Australia recently. Um, hmm. You've got your son now. Where, where do you and Eliza want to ultimately end up? Um, I think ultimately we'd want to be back in Australia. Like, you know, I, our parents are there, Henry's cousins are there, our siblings are all there, um, and I love being back home. Um, but, yeah, it's it's definitely something that, we're learning on on the trot, like um, being away for like I was away for almost four, five, almost six months, and that was really challenging. They came over at the end of the year, and now um, we're back here. So it's not like when we were younger, or even just a married couple, where it's like, all right, you go off there and you do this, and I'll go off here and shoot that, and you know, we'll meet back up. It's like, well, now we have to be selective of what we want to do and and be mindful of each other's like, you know, dreams about our careers and, and 
work together as a unit it's it's a it, it you know we're learning on the job with that too and then finding out what we can what is manageable for us and what what isn't you know so it's shifted a lot in terms of career direction and and whatnot but to me it's it's really kind of what's best for the family unit yeah it's you got to weigh up everything yeah, well, in, in terms of working, um, I just wanted to ask something about Ryan Cool, um, because uh, you you've both delivered some very similar type roles, um, in terms of engaging real characters. You you guys would be great in an Australian male version of I don't know something like Thelma and Louise or something. Have you guys built a friendship and considered doing something together? Um, I mean, I would love to work with Ryan again, and you know, hopefully, I know that Lucas has more in the tank with In Limbo, so hopefully, we get to have it another swing at it but yeah i mean he's he's um one of those actors that and i've said this to him as well that like i would watch like like i would watch his career and see what he was doing and be internally jealous be like oh he's, he's very good and so i was really happy to work with him and then you know my wife eliza worked with him went on the sleepover club and so wow, she was like oh, yeah like 20 years ago or whatever yeah. and um she was like, you two will get along. And like, you know, we only, Ryan and I only met like two weeks before we started shooting in Limbo, but um, we just got along really well. And I think, yeah, I, like I, I really appreciate him. And uh, yeah, yeah. If we get to do Thelma and Louise, then sure, let's do it. <laughs> so what what's next for you? Um, anything you can hint about with uh, future projects? Um it's kind of yeah like you know like i was saying um now it, it, the landscape of like what work i can say yes to has really shifted you know eliza's here working on a project right now so that's i'm kind of stay-at-home dad for a bit and yeah. uh getting used to that new role and then you know see once once the calendar opens up a bit more and um i can be available then uh yeah but it, it's a it's a um it's a real juggle right now and you know the writer strikes just started here and so oh yeah yeah it's a it's not as exciting as it, it it could be it's been a really interesting last couple of years with covid and now the writer strike and so australia's really producing some stuff and really kind of looking at projects there at the moment but yeah right now i've tried to just put work aside and go i'm just i'm going to be the stay-at-home dad for a while and then and look at things for later in the year and, and you know, maybe next year. But it's kind of, it's good to have a bit of a force majeure, I think, for me and and find my equilibrium before I sail off to somewhere else and we put, mm. put our life in flux again. So, yeah. It's probably too early for a call on uh, In Limbo Season 2 yet, since the first yeah. season's not out. But um, yeah, exactly. have you heard anything about Season 3 of Love Me? Um, No, I haven't. I mean, I've heard that it's been received really well. Um, But, yeah, I mean, uh, even Season 2 was kind of late, like where I knew whether we were going ahead very late in the day. Like, um, yeah, like I, I think I went straight from doing In Limbo to Love Me. Like, you know, it was like, I think I had a day off between the two projects. Wow. Um, so, yeah, like I was doing in limbo and then then we were figuring out what when what dates I could work on Love Me. So um, 
I know that the original series, I think, went for three seasons. So whether that's something that they envisage um, at Foxtel and Binge, then that'd be great. But, yeah, I can't speak any further to that. But I'd love to kind yeah. of play Peter Kay again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll, I'd love to. Top five show. Um, oh, look, we're, we're getting to the... Uh, this is a second last question. Um, we've we've covered some big stuff today, and I'm I'm so proud that we're in a space where we can openly talk about things like mental health. And of course, there is help out there. Lifelines number is thirteen eleven fourteen. Now you've been through a, a whirlwind whirlwind of emotions, some so dark that you you know you attempted to end your own life. Um, to being in a space where you have a beautiful son and and the world at your feet. For people out there that are in that sort of darker space right now. Um, and knowing that, you know, you've been there, what advice would you, would you give them? Look, it's one thing that I've always found is that when I'm in that darkest, darker place, um, there, there's a lot of different therapies that I've, I've taken on. And, you know, I, I take the holistic approach to mental health, but a lot of the times if you need to cry, that's fine. You should cry. Or if you need to just be in a room on your own, that that's absolutely fine too. Like a hundred percent of the time I've gotten up from those dark times that I'm still here. That's one of the things that I find solace in when I'm in one of those dark times is that I have a hundred percent record of, of getting through those darker times, Yeah. but it's when the sun's shining and things are good. That's when you need to get help. That's the best time to start working on those darker times because sometimes you're just hanging on in those darker times. Mm. But when you are feeling like you can breathe again, that's when you, you need to start taking and doing that work because it will help lessen how dark things can get. I think that's important because it's very easy to forget about the dark times when things feel a lot better, but that's yeah. kind of when we got to do the work. Mm. Yeah. Well, ready for the big last question? Go on. Um, to, to end this pon uh, podcast and in the spirit of in limbo, let's say your son is much, much older um, and you've mm. passed away from old age and, and your son is speaking um, of you uh, at your funeral. What do you hope he says? What do you hope you've instilled in your son? Mm. What, what he says about me? Yeah, like, but and what, what do you hope you've instilled in your in your son? Like, what 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 will he say about you? Um, look, I I, I hope that you know, I've given him a place where he's felt supported. You know, mm. that I I believed in him, and I already do. Like, I I have absolute trust in him. You know, that he'll do what's right right for him, and I I believe in whatever he he wants to achieve. So, you know, I think that I hope that he says that. You know, there was always an open door. There's always somebody to listen, always someone to help or kick him up the ass when he needed a bit of a kick up the ass, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I hope that he thinks that I'm funny, but right now mum is queen of comedy, so I don't <laughs> even get I don't get any love. So it's just she's a one-woman show and I I just I just uh, take him for walks, making breakfast. But, yeah. You know, I, I just, I, I hope that, and I know that to the best of my ability, I'll be as supportive as I can be of him. So, yeah. 
Oh, beautiful. Well, authentic, um, just just like your role, son. That's beautiful. Um, Bob, your work in, in Limbo and recently in Love Me has been authentic, beautiful, and, and deeply moving, um, has given pause for the audience to reflect on things, sometimes good things, and sometimes it brings up hurt, but that can mm. also lead to healing. So I do yeah. appreciate your time. Um, thank you for being so candid and, and good luck with uh, In Limbo, and we'll keep following your work. Uh, thanks, Bob. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, take it easy. Look after yourself. All right. That was uh, Bob Morley, star of the ABC series In Limbo, which starts Wednesday, 24 May, 2023 at 9 p.m. And then all episodes will be immediately available to view uh, on iview to binge that's it for this podcast for all the latest news streaming info ratings television guides podcasts head to tvcentral.com.au until next time thanks to bob morley bye for now 